0: got a show for you. I've no idea what we'll do. Welcome, my friends, to this charming tableau. Have we got a show for you.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. I have just completed my run at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and then had a couple of days of absolutely zero brain because my goodness, the festival just wiped me out. I was in something like 30 different shows over the course of nine days at the festival. So that's a little bit more than three a day. So that includes doing my own whole show as well as appearing at guest spots and cabarets. I'll be talking a little bit more about that in a minute. But first, uh, there was a new Star Wars trailer and it had a lot of lightsabers in it so that's good there i've commented on something in the current cultural zeitgeist let us speak of it no more i started this podcast because i wanted to talk about things that weren't current eventsy i i feel like enough people talk about that and frankly for me personally i kind of wanted to get away from that sort of stuff i i do follow the news i do follow current events i'm somewhat informed about what's going on in the world but i think if all we do is look at what's currently happening in the world it it loses some of the context that's why i really like reading history because a lot of the things that are happening now are informed by things that happened 50 100 a 1, thousand years ago uh, even just talking about current events as a vague concept is making me stressed out fortunately i've got some bubble wrap here much better. I think that sort of small artistic things are actually really, really helpful because they give us a chance not only for escape, but also to be informed about broader concepts like humanity or queer representation or, you know, tax incentives. That last one might be a stretch, but I think you understand what I'm saying. So the bulk of this week's episode is going to be a chat that i had with an amazing actress friend of mine named heather rose and she is she's an incredible actress i wish more people could see her but most mostly she does live one woman shows on stage which are incredible to see i actually managed to catch her show after recording this interview so uh even though in the interview I'm I'm speaking as, as someone who hasn't seen her show, I did actually get to see the show and it is incredible. She does a really good job of the, in the interview of explaining the show and what the show's about and what happens in it. And uh, I hope you folks enjoy my chat with Heather. Oh, one last thing before I get to the chat. I'm still learning how to use this Tascam portable recorder and I accidentally had the volume set way low during our chat. So I hope that you folks can hear it. Uh, I've done everything I could in my post-production process to clean up the audio and make it listenable. I'm so sorry about that. A few of the interviews I recorded this fringe are going to sound like that, and hopefully they're still listenable, because I I think that the chats were really good, and uh, I hope you folks enjoy it. Anyway, without further ado, here's my chat with Heather.
2: I'm one of those terrible people. I can't, you think as an actor, be able to retain a lot of... It's like when I say I do Shakespeare and stuff. Uh-huh. People go, oh, it, give, me give me a monologue, give me a monologue. Yeah. I'm like, no, I'm really—I don't. I'm not someone who retains stuff. I—I I, I forget lines quite quickly. If I'm not doing it there and then, I will walk away and that's it. It's gone. It's quite scary. <laughs> I don't. I, I'm very—it's very different from me. It's—it's through it's movement and stuff. Yeah. Which I think I don't know what you are asking me, but that's probably where that's what it's based on me.
1: Oh, I asked you if you could tell a joke, and then.
2: Yeah, I told your
1: girlfriend tangent. Yeah. I, no, told this I mean, that's that's why. We're, I mean, we might as well just start because that's that, yeah. that's why I love doing this. You know, it's, it's the, the the thing is like all of us as performers, the thing that we're known for doing, we talk about all the time. Like especially at Fringe, it's like we're running around selling ourselves in five seconds. Yeah, you know. Uh you know, hi, I do a one woman show and it's called Metamorphosis and it's about this. Yeah. Like that's it. And and this is meant to be the opposite of that kind of interaction. Where yeah. it's just like it's like getting to know someone. You know, I I've been so lucky over the last few years to travel all over the world and meet all these amazing artists and to get to chat with them and you know, mm-hmm. share a little bit of like sort of behind the scenes fun that we have at a thing yeah. like this. So uh on that note, uh Let's actually start, I guess. Uh, what is your full name, I, I feel like?
2: Uh, my full name is Heather Rose Andrews.
1: Heather Rose Andrews. So, <clears throat> I'll put on my BBC
0: Radio 2 voice for a moment, here. Yeah.
1: I'm sitting in the studio with her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here with Heather Rose Andrews. We are backstage in the Sweet Grass Market number four. Which is the thirty seat black box theater with the banked seating, unlike the thirty seat black box theater where everyone sits in chairs on the floor. Uh, and you just had it—you you have the day off yeah. today. Uh, so thank you for taking some time to chat with me about just whatever. I, yeah. you know, it's I. Nobody who listens to this podcast is probably going to be able to come see your shows, and uh, this will be going up well after the fringe is over. So you know, you, don't worry about promo. Just,
2: Depends where you're based. though. we are going to New York.
1: Oh, you are going to New York. Yeah, okay, well then, you know, maybe we will talk <laughs> a bit about that. Yeah, yeah. I'll just that. Throw that in there. Um, that's that's exciting. Yeah. Have you gone to New York before?
3: Um,
2: when I was 17, and I actually didn't really like it because yeah. for me, when I go when I go traveling, I usually go to sort of I love old ancient cities. Yeah. Um, that's what I really like: ancient ruins and stuff like that. Yeah. So New York is very much you're looking up. Yeah, these incredible buildings. Um and I was seventeen, so I don't think I was able to enjoy the side of life where if you're twenty, what's it, twenty what's the age now? It's twenty one to, yeah, to drink and actually go out. Yeah. So I think going and I'm going at Christmas. I'm oh, performing at Christmas time.
1: It's Fifth Avenue at Christmas time with all the you yeah. know, all the big shops, but they have their big window displays. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like uh, uh, what is the high, the high street in London or whatever. There's areas in London where they do that too. I'm
2: the, really bad with the place. It's, I know it's alright one but, of the ones who got the names I'm right
1: this is like like Harrods so Har- or whatever. yeah yeah Harrods yeah, yeah. you know they yeah. do the big elaborate window displays the- Selfridges and stuff like this yes yeah. and there's an entire like it's like blocks and blocks of those yeah. stores and they're all trying to outdo each other so there was it was like a candy shop that had made this like hot couture uh, like fashion runway dress on like a mannequin all out of jelly beans strung together on thread it was in just God. incredible that would be amazing. So you are an actress. Uh, is that like the best word to describe you? Or a- actor, I guess would be like.
2: Um, I like actor. Actor? I don't know why I like actor. I just think I've always.
1: It it's, takes up less space in a tweet. Yeah. I
2: think it's always just, when I was younger as well, I always was attracted to playing male roles as mm-hmm. well and things like that. Um, I don't know. It's something I referenced in Alien actually with like Gene Kelly. Yeah. I was always watching these roles that these men played, and for a long time I always thought, oh, I always want to be, a, Oh, it's clearly I want to play the male roles, yeah. but no, I realised what I wanted was the roles that the men were playing, which were these sort of strong, um, you know, they were the prince charming or the knights, I wanted to be a knight, it doesn't matter yeah. regardless if it was male or female, but there's something about the word actor, I just feel like it's stronger, and it actress is. does remind me of being a sort of 1950s a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I'm not, I haven't got particular preference, but I just like actor as a whole.
3: Really,
1: I just get around them. So, besides acting, is there any other like, I guess, nouns that describe what you do, or is, or is actor like the thing? Um,
2: if I was going to be specific about what style of performer I am, mm-hmm. uh, it would probably be physical. I'm a physical performer. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the work I do is based on movement, so it's about shifting various characters um, which is partly why I get cast in certain things, like that with metamorphosis she shifts from being child, adolescent to adult Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah I would say it was a physical performer Um, I don't yeah, I think that's, yeah I don't think there's anything oh, a classical actor, I guess Mm -hmm. because I studied Shakespeare with um, Emily Carding, who's also a performer here Um, yeah, we both did I studied staging Shakespeare so I learned oh, wow. about the original folios and things like that, mm-hmm. um, and the politics at the time. Um, that was really helpful. Um, yet, I haven't actually done any. I haven't really done any Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I stepped away from it after doing my masters. Um,
1: any particular reason? Because I, I chatted there with is Emily
2: a reason, yeah. on the
1: podcast, and Emily has just completely gone down Shakespeare. Like,
2: so after you do your masters, you get mm-hmm. the opportunity to do performance at the Globe. Mm-hmm. So that was like a dream, right. to perform at the Globe. And I got the part of Rosalind, and As You Like It. Again, mm-hmm. main part, uh, it was in February. You're there for three weeks, and you, every day you get up and you rehearse, and it's really intense. Um, and what should have been an experience I absolutely loved, hated, really didn't enjoy it. Uh, the movement teacher who I thought I would naturally have a bond with because I'm very good at movement, immediately shut me down. And rightfully so now. At the time, I was not so grateful right. um, because I was too prepared because I was trained as a dancer for years.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So the, diff- the difficult thing with being trained as a dancer is I don't stand naturally. So if I'm playing a character, any ordinary character, just a girl, Rosalind, I wouldn't be standing in a ballet pose. Right. And I found myself standing in a ballet pose. Or even she, she would just ask us to prance across the stage so you'd prance across and then you'd have to look towards the audience and you'd have to say your character's name. Mm-hmm. So I would prepare, I would prance along, but it wouldn't look natural. Right. And then I'd say, Rosalind! But everything about me was just overly prepared. And I'd never really thought about it because we dance, you know, it's drilled into you, the way you stand, your posture, everything. But as soon as you then go into acting, it doesn't look natural unless you're playing a part which you use that. Right. Um, so it's something I've, I've had to become very aware of is the way I stand.
1: It's, it's something that I see in you just even when we're all hanging out backstage here at the venue and, you know, you walk in and just, like, the way you stand and move still ha- still is very yeah. informed by that. It's sort of like I have a lot of clown friends and it's just, like, they can't walk downstairs. Just walk down the fucking stairs, yeah. Anthony. Like, Honestly, just. yeah. And it's, like, they can't. No. They can't not. Um, and, I, you know, I, I think that is a beautiful thing about, like, kind of all the people in our wider circles that it's just, like, they become... Th- th- these things go into their bones yeah. uh, but th- th- I want to go back to that thing about getting shut down by someone that you kind of like were expecting to be uplifted by because I-, I think that's a thing that when we're young as artists we really resent it oh. you know when that that first kind of mentor figure clothes lines us yeah.
2: she really it was brutal it was like something out of a film the way she was treating me mm-hmm. I don't think it was fair mm-hmm. now and I look back it was the way she would say something like Heather, and at the end of this, you were going to lead the bows. Is that something you're capable of? I mean, she was not a particularly nice person. She's known for not being great. But I thought, because of movement, being the movement teacher, we would, it would really get on. So I think there was a clash of personalities. Anyway, I was 21, and I was, a, and still am, a bit of a scatterbrain. I sometimes take a bit of time to sort of understand what people are saying, and I, I'm a bit. I, Sometimes just zone out. I don't mean to, so I think that irritated her um and also because I was so prepared uh I see now in, in hindsight she was just trying to shake me out of it, you know, just trying to make me aware of it and even though it put me off acting for three years, I quit acting after that. It was huge because it was a dream it
0: was mm-hmm. the most
2: magical thing I was at, I did still do the show it was snowing in the globe. it was beautiful. It's all I ever wanted, and yeah. I walked away from that going mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I couldn't take the criticism. I couldn't yeah. do it. Then worked for three years doing carpentry, completely different thing um, with my father, as you do. And then got back into acting. And now I understand. I do understand it. I still don't agree with how she treated me, but I understand what she was trying to do. I understand mm-hmm. artistically what she was trying to do. Um, I don't think I would ever speak to someone like that, but I do agree that you know, you can spend years training as a dancer but now I'm doing all these pieces where I'm finding ways to use that like with metamorphosis. It's a little bit like um, uh, a little bit like Stephen Burkhoff when he did Shakespeare's Villains. I don't know if you ever saw that. No. He would genuinely do one monologue and his whole body would shift into a different character. So mm. I take a lot of influence through sort of mime and clowning. Because that's mm-hmm. what I did my first year here. did a one-woman uh, clowning show called Cacophony. And that immediately helped me to loosen up and learn how to mime. I had to do seven weeks to learn how to mime. It was Mm. incredible. So, through the last few years, I've just spent doing different physical shows, and it's really helping me develop who I am as an actor. And that is a very physical performer, not from a dance perspective. I wouldn't say I do a full physical piece. like A lot of physical theatre can be pure movement. This is character that will shift and morph into other characters, is probably how
1: best way to describe it i i yeah you know i'm connecting with that a little bit because i i did mime for like the first couple of years of performing with circuses and things like that and it's because i I was mortified of speaking on stage as myself because my my stage persona that i tour with now is an version of me who sounds like me who you know is into the same things as me a lot more outgoing than me but like it's but finding that but before that there was a lot of mime and a lot of silent performance yeah. and things and i find that my physicality now when i'm speaking there's extra emphasis yeah. because you know you you find yourself making motions this is riveting podcasting i know but like you know <laughs> you, you, you make like a, a big physicality to say a big thing and you can yeah. make a small physicality to yeah. say a small thing and d- d- you bring that that level of of like physical movement to what could just be people stood there talking. Yeah. Uh, You know, like, have you seen uh, the the Quintessence show that Emily's doing? Yep. A lot of it is just someone stood there, and yet she's doing all these very small things with her body. (sighs) It's amazing. It's riveting. Because she,
2: everything, every blink when she's the AI character is deliberate. Yeah. She's great. That's what... I like to do that's the kind of performance I do and that's why hopefully me and Emily are going to work together because her shifting into the different Shakespearean characters back to the AI it's you know it's de- it's very subtle but it's deliberate and I don't think some sometimes people don't quite they don't really un- they don't notice it mm-hmm. but it's so it's very beautifully done it's very beautifully done
1: so you you mentioned uh carpentry
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I knew you thought you going to go back
1: to that. Well, I, I mean I I do I do carpentry sometimes uh, in the summertime. Like if I need a bit of extra money, you know, artists always need a bit of extra yeah. money. I uh, I help build houses. Yeah. So like, wh- what kind of carpentry were you doing with your dad? Well,
2: so I would say I, it was more. I would say more sort of multi trader. Uh huh. Um, it's my brother who's really the carpenter, but I would help him out, and I also did a bit of join joinery. And, um, mm-hmm. But I was doing loft conversions and. Um, and then afterwards got one of the, another troupe I'm in called Fanny Tascals, Amy's a carpenter alongside being an actor and she would make, um, tables and i was help her out with stuff like that. But um, yeah, so I, I can do pretty much all the DIY. I can tile, I can, I can do landscaping, I did that. Um, the only reason why I struggled landscaping is because I feel really bad about killing all the wood lice and things.
3: Oh yeah. I get
2: really like, oh no, move out of the way. I'm terrible. Um, yeah, I'm really, I'm like, oh my god, there's a slug. Poor slug. Let's move the slug. Yeah, uh, it's terrible. But yeah, I just did that for three years because my dad's, um, he does sort of engineering. Um, I don't know what he don't quite know what he does. He does a bit of everything, but he's really good with property. Mm-hmm. And my brother's now an electrician, and my younger brother's a carpenter. So it was quite natural for me to just. I'm very practical. Yeah. I'm very practical. It's a job. I've, I'm into painting. I'm very good at painting. I would definitely probably go into it as a multi-trader if I was an actor. That would probably be what I would do.
1: Yeah, I I really enjoy doing stuff like that because it's like I just put in like a podcast in my headphones or whatever and I just like, it's a vacation for audiobooks. me. Yep, audiobooks. Yep, audiobooks.
2: Give me a room and they'd be like, you need to sand this down, you need to do this, you need to paint this, right, you've got all day, great. And. Uh, so you just listen to your audiobook, um, and I find that I love the physical. The I like how feeling quite physically fit because mm-hmm. it's, and I also like that you. It's a bit sim, It's similar to acting with. I like the process. Mm-hmm. I like seeing a room, and it being you know it could just be this. I was gonna say a shit but I can't say it. It's um, it's not, you know, it's just there's nothing there, and then you paint. You go sand and you paint and you tile and you gloss or whatever. And it becomes something completely different. I love that. I like the bit in between, where you, you know, sort of the transformation of it. But that's what I also love as an actor. I like having the script in hand, which I struggle with because I'm dyslexic and words are an issue. And then the end result, well, which I still don't think ever is officially the end result. I love the bit in between. I just find that fascinating. I, it's, yeah, I find that really interesting. But. Yeah, so that's why I could do a job like that, because you have a beginning and end. Mm-hmm.
1: I like that you're drawing that parallel, that process. It's its so interesting to me how many of my artist friends are completely useless at like the DIY kind really? of stuff. Really?
2: Oh, I, I can see that, though. Because some people can also be quite... Uh, can be sort of introverts as well, mm-hmm. and, and I think maybe performance is a way of esca- escaping its... Yes. So I can see that flip side that actually maybe they aren't someone who is very hands on with
3: things.
1: Yeah, uh, what's it the, like the fact that I have artist friends who like, like I posted a video on Instagram a few years ago of me using a, a like a fifteen inch concrete saw to like cut up an old driveway, and people were just like, like, what is this? How do you also do that? You
2: know? I put up the wings for our shows and everything. Yeah. So for Fanny Tascals, we would get gigs where they're like. Um, you know you need we can't put the wings out. I'll turn up and I'll make I'll, I'll put them up we will find some wings and we'll do it as long as we have permission mm-hmm. I'll do that and so we're Amy. are she, gosh she's even done it when she's pregnant it's great um, we make our own props uh, we have because it's called we have a big board with a uh, ovaries and so I had to use um, oh, what is it you call it the jigsaw to mm-hmm. cut around it, mm-hmm. so there's pictures of us sort of yeah. using the jigsaw, and people love it because they're like, well, "You're doing it yourself," and I think that's a really, you know, it's, that's great. Um, that way, I can just get up and go. I know that if I need to be able to do something where I need to use a drill or something mm-hmm. like that, I can. I can use a saw.
1: It's, it's a level of, of deeper connection to what ends up happening in your show in a way that it's it's sort of like modern food culture. Like people are so disconnected from like where eggs or, or meat yeah. comes from. And I think that often can happen with with stage performance where it's just like you don't have this deeper connection. Like I, I come from a, a folk music heavy community back home in the States and like half of those guys are like, I have to build my own guitar. Yeah. And it's like
2: that would be amazing.
1: Yeah. And so like it's a love couple, to learn
2: to do something like that. Yeah. Like, or you know, like violins or something, like yeah. the art. For
1: yeah luthiers are like the high priests of carpenters I just Imagine. but it's like the when they make music on those guitars it's an entirely different thing that has happened because it's just like the they or they've made it for another
3: yeah.
1: artist in the community there's just a deeper connection to the history yeah. of the instrument which is not to say people can't make great art on an instrument they just bought from a shop but it's it's just a different thing and when you're making your own props for your show yeah. you're intimately acquainted with the prop
2: yeah it's it's simple things like turning up finding out I remember we had one where we turned up and they were like you have one wing and I was like okay so we don't have a board or anything we can use but the show is designed with two wings because there's six women we have to be behind some wings so we just manipulated the curtain and got some uh, gaffer tape and wound that you know around so it kind of turned into a string uh-huh. and made our own wing <laughs> you just have to be practical and I remember the tech just being like what the because we just got up and we just did it. It was yeah. fun. Um, it's, It is quite nice. That's quite thrilling. I like that. It's kind of, yeah. It's like, yeah, I do enjoy that a lot. But not all the time. It's not always like that. <laughs> not always. But I, yeah, I think having your own props, props that you've made. Um, Judy and Fanny Tascals is an incredible artist and she will paint a lot of the, um, so when we have the board with the ovaries and things like that, mm-hmm. she will paint them. She'll design the flyers and the posters. So actually in that group, we're extremely creative right every everything yeah that's,
1: that's pretty cool actually so you know a lot of the listeners won't get a chance to see the fringe shows that you're putting on now yeah. but the the process is, is intriguing to me because you're in a show right now called Metamorphosis that I haven't seen but it was written for you to perform correct is that the one
2: yes Yeah. so Sam Sam Chittington who's the director and writer always wanted to do Metamorphosis she knew she wanted to do a one-person show. And I say one person because she didn't know if it was male or female, whether it was Gregor or a female version of Gregor. Mm-hmm. Um, but she saw me do a show. She saw me, saw me do Blood Wedding, where I had to play this kind of witch character. And the witch is meant to be 90, or 90 years old, but I got cast. Uh-huh. Um, so I had to manipulate my voice and my body, and I made myself, so I'm five at nine, and I made myself tiny. I just bent over and had this cape over me the whole time. And she saw that and went, I want to work with you. And I mean, I've heard a lot about Sam and I love her work. So I was like, absolutely, yes. And she said, I want to do a movement piece based on Gregor. I'm not sure yet what we do, but as we either have you as a male or female. But through time of us meeting up and just experimenting, like she got me to playing a fetus, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: which isn't in the show. But right. she got me to do a lot of things. Like, can you do this, can you, can you try and be a fetus? I'm like, of course I can try. Can you try and being a baby, you know, yeah. that's coming out? <laughs> and I'm like, oh yes, of course I can try, just to see. And then it, and then she would write, she would write the pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, can you try a young girl? Let me hear you play a young girl, a young Greta, to see if it worked for then for her to decide that she would then have the character be different ages. Um, but yes, yeah, so she decided to do the female, the sister of uh, Gregor. So Greta is the sister. Um, so I don't know if you've ever read *Metamorphoses*.
1: The Ovid? Ovid. No, this is oh. K-
2: Kafka's Mo- Metamorphosis. Oh, Kafka. No, I have People, not. People do get easy to get confused. So the idea is, um, Gregor wakes up one morning mm-hmm. and he turns into a beetle. I think it's a dung beetle. And it's a very short novella, and the story is just a meta really a metaphor really. Uh, <laughs> that's his name. That it's how it affects his parents. Mm-hmm. So his parents were very much. He was the, the bread. He was the breadwinner. Is that what I'm mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, that's the word. I was like, oh. he's the one who brought in the money. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that he's turned into this thing, they are immediately more concerned about the money. Ah. And then Greta, the sister, starts off from being someone who's really concerned about her brother to growing up and getting attention from people because now the attention shifted she's getting that attention and how it changes her through her puberty and through life. And in the original story, it's very short, it's a little horror story it ends with him dying turning mm. into a hollow shell and just getting thrown out by the cleaner. It's brutal. Yeah. But this is from the perspective of the sister and how mm. it affects her and really you kind of question, was Gregor really a beetle? Was this a metaphor for other things? Or, and that's what we explore in Metamorphosis. It's quite dark it's quite um, it's quite a sad story because her life isn't easy,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and it also it also relates to Kafka and his life because while he was writing this, um, you know he had he didn't get on well with his family, so there's a lot of parallels. Mm-hmm. Um, Greta's also got a lot of parallels with his sister. Also, what was going on at the time? Um, this was when uh, you had Hitler. Um, and you had uh, the camps, the concent- concentration camps and everything. So you see bits, you see elements of that, mm-hmm. because that was in Kafka's life at the time, and actually that's how his whole family goes. His sister died. It's really sad what happened to his sister. She chose to um, look after these children, and she chose to leave her family because she was Jewish, And she, but they weren't, she could, she married in to, with ah. her husband, so they were able to get away. But yeah, she chose to um, look after these children who were going to be gassed and she went along with them. It's it's awful. It's absolutely awful. And then Kafka himself dies of tuberculosis. Right. Which essentially, yeah, it's it's horrible. But um, which is quite parallel to Gregor Mm -hmm. of how Gregor becomes a hollow shell and basically it's very interesting. It's almost like he's writing his own death, like how he sees himself, how he's going to die. It's really, yeah, just, so Sam really looked into Kafka's life. So a lot of this is about Kafka himself, Gregor, and the whole family. So Greta is also his sister. Kafka is also Gregor. Mm-hmm. And like, you know what I mean? There's there's yeah. a lot of... Yeah, I'd be interested by what you think when you see it tomorrow.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm very keen to.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, spe- I mean, speaking about things I have seen, you were in a show last year yeah. that was...
2: A new one, of, <laughs> totally different. one of
1: my all-time favorite friend shows was called one woman alien yeah and you essentially did the story of the first movie, alien movie of yeah. alien by yourself yeah and also kind of it, it interwove uh, like autobiographical stuff yeah. but then it, you didn't you weren't the writer on that show so you I sort was of a, were.
2: so I uh, was approached I had Andrew Allen approach me um, a year prior to say he would, he has his idea and he's been looking for someone to play one woman aliens. It's mm-hmm. quite similar with Sam. He was trying to find someone that would suit the part. And I mean, actually, I've got curly hair, I'm tall. Yeah. I, I can see why he might think I look a bit like I could be Sigourney Weaver in that sense. You
1: do rock that jumpsuit. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's a good jumpsuit. <laughs> um, and so, and because he'd seen me do a lot of physical, uh, mm-hmm. physical movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so that came in handy for for Alien because I'm playing what was it like eight characters I think um, and that was shifting the physicality mm-hmm. which helped because the year before that I'd just done the Clowning of Mind piece and that was deliberate because I worked with Andrew Allen on that one as well Right. Um, but yeah Alien was he wrote the script but the script hadn't been written until we sat down and discussed it
0: mm-hmm.
2: what is it we want at this and I said it'd be interesting to pull out the feminist part you know like this is it, it was one of the biggest things for a woman to take a, a main part in 1979 yeah. um, you know and the fact that the camera doesn't really focus on her at all until towards the end and you realise actually she's kind of the most sensible one there yeah, along with Veronica Cartwright even though she's whining she's basically saying what the audience is saying get the hell out of there yeah. just get off you know um, so there's a lot I think it's really important um, I think her character is really important um, so that was similar to met was collaborative but he predominantly was writing it I wasn't actually physically writing any words down mm-hmm. I was getting up and doing stuff and then that was how that developed um, but met was a, is a lot more took a lot longer
3: mm-hmm. because Andrew
2: would then give me the script and I would learn that and we'd play right so I would get up and work out how I'm gonna do all the different characters mm-hmm. um, how I'm gonna do all the movement so I watched the film a lot
3: <laughs> a lot <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, with Sam it was very much while we're together she was writing and I would do bits and then she would write more and then because she realised oh you can do a younger version so I'm going to write more about that Mm -hmm. it's really yeah but I guess you say they're the writers they are that so if you were going to pull it apart that way this is Sam's work Mm -hmm. that was Andrew's work it is difficult because I am I'm doing it with them
1: you're you're still, it's it's, it's. I, I guess that's why Jeez. I kind of wanted to get into this because yeah. it's it's a it's a fascinating thing to me because I all the stuff I do, you know, I'm devising it and maybe people are giving me ideas or whatever, but it's it's definitely me, it's me performing material that yeah. I made up for me. Yeah. And seeing you, like, it. I was shocked when I found out One Woman Alien wasn't yeah. that kind of thing because it just feels like there's a lot of you there
2: yeah there's actually are personal references to my life yeah um, in that um, because you know there's some bits where I talk about there were quite a lot of parallels between me and Sigourney similar in age mm-hmm. um, actually I think this year is the anniversary and also I would be the same age when she did it she was sort of 28, 29 when she mm-hmm. was filming it um, we both had a lover of Jean um, Kelly um, and that we, we had a lot in common um, even with the way we kind of in that film the way she sits and stuff like that is very much how I am being a tall woman um, yeah there was a lot that yeah I think we just wanted to we put into the scripts I'm intrigued with it being re-cast how that changes things because clearly they can't use the parts that, that clearly talk about me Mm-hmm. So I will be intrigued how that works, but then I guess it's a new person coming in, so it'll be their own interpretation, right. interpretation to sort of into it. Um, but yeah, I think with um, it's a decision that I've made with so JD, who I'm working on my next project with, because mm-hmm. one woman shows is something I really like doing. He wants me to be a writer with him. He wants me to be. He's going to say it's written by mm-hmm. Heather and JD or JD and Heather which is a conversation I've had with him I said well, you are predominantly the main writer but this is going to be created by me getting up and doing things doing a lot of things and it's checking and Hyde right so that's going to be really tight movement um, so yeah I don't know how I feel about that being classed as a writer because it is more devising mm-hmm. and him writing it's really it is quite an odd process
1: I find that area fascinating because, like my show, all the stories and everything are quote-unquote written by me, but it's not like the show is written.
2: Yeah.
1: It do, It's not on paper. There's no script for my no, show. No, no,
2: no. You're, yeah.
1: But yet, there are bits of it that are codified and, and exist.
2: When I do funny a lot of that's my... We all do our own stories. It's yeah. all our own things. That's more stand-up. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, that is very much even though a lot of them are the main writers. And again, I would be someone who suggests ideas and I'll suggest songs, and then Mm. a lot of them will work on the rhyming of the songs because that's their strength. Um, But we used to do confessions, monologues, and they were all our own stories. Mm -hmm. Because I've said a lot of silly, silly things in my life. I've been a bit ignorant about certain things like babies being born and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of silly stories that I'm quite happy to, you know, I can use as material. Um, I yeah, cacophony, the first show I did here, I will can quite rightfully say that that is my clown. That is a character I've created. Mm-hmm. Andrew gave me the jokes, but I created the choreography for it, so maybe that's what I'm doing. Maybe I'm choreographing the work. Mm-hmm. I'm getting it on its feet physically, but they are the, the spoken words because I don't know how met I don't know if this show would be the way it is if I wasn't doing it
3: right
2: it could be Sam could have written it for someone else and it might still be the same but I think it's because the way I was moving it's made her realise what she could write it kind of opened up ideas I don't think she realised she was going to do 58 scenes not in order from different ages in Greta's life right because I think she needed to know that a performer could go from being adult Greta like 30 something Mm -hmm. To a young one at eleven years old and just switch within seconds. Right. You don't know that until I guess you find the actor and then you want to work with them. But that's a different process for me. That's the kind of acting I do. I don't at the moment currently don't audition for stuff. I get asked to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing Monica's I don't know if you knew Monica I can't remember Monica Brooke, Brooke, Brooke. She was here last year doing Vivian's Music 1969.
1: I think that ended before I got here. Oh,
2: it was yeah. absolutely brilliant. But she saw me do Alien,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and immediately said, "I want you to be cast in my next show, because that's and the next one is Machiavellian. Uh-huh. It's a piece that's we're kind of hoping to bring up to Edinburgh next year, um, because it's a comedy, um, but the character is really in depth, um, but also needed to be funny. Right. So she saw Alien, and immediately asked if I wanted to. Do, well, she asked me to read for the part mm-hmm. just to make sure I could. That was you know that it yeah. sounded I sounded right." But that's that's kind of how I've been getting my work is through doing um these shows with these people and like things like fringes for me are really important mm-hmm. because other actors are seeing it, such as Emily Carding, and then wanting to work with me. Yeah. That's how I'm developing developing as a performer. I'm not necessarily going out and auditioning. The um,
1: that yeah. process has never made sense to me. No. Just like I I get like being asked to read for something that you might be good for, and just making sure, like as a as a check. Mm-hmm. But this sort of like the idea that like we're gonna have two hundred people come in and pick one of those, or whatever. It's like like the you know like it just it sounds awful, and like any sort of like cattle call or just like group call, all call kind of thing. You know, I used to go to the big press days here at the fringe, and it's just, like it doesn't it. I'm not enjoying it. They're not enjoying it. I I think it's
2: also the idea of me writing. That's what excites me. It's seeing this idea that someone Mm -hmm. has. And then through, even if it's just simply discussing it with them, they start to, it inspires them to write. And I think that's what's incredible, as I said earlier, that you can have a piece where you have this idea and then three months later you have a show. I find that insane. That's what I love. And that's why I love Fringe. I like working with New people, which is why I probably won't find myself working with the same people all the time because I constantly want to challenge myself and go on work with new people because it brings out something different, like alien comedy. Um, you know, that that totally I didn't know if I could do that. I mean, I didn't know I could play all part all eight parts yeah. or whatever, and it worked. I mean, it worked, it did really well. Your
1: John Hurt is so spot on. Oh,
2: gosh, yeah, <laughs> but the, so the, the one thing I've discovered that I'm good at uh-huh. is mimicking yeah i am someone who if you give me enough time i wouldn't be able to do it straight away right but if you give me enough time i could learn someone's i could really mimic someone i think i'd be really good at it um because i i if i'm around someone for too long i start doing it naturally anyway
1: yeah
2: um, picking up people's ticks and stuff like that i'm just so physical i'm physical just it's free movement really
1: that, that that's something that i love doing as well like when I got my first cell phone like four or five years ago and it had the little audio recorder on it, you know, I'd be like, I could check. Yeah. Because like, we've all heard like someone do like a shite impersonation of some famous actor or something. Yeah. It, it's like, you, it might sound right inside your head. Yeah. But like, it's it might not be correct yeah. outside your head. Like, yeah, I just, I love that. I love finding those little like, things.
2: It's, it's listening, it's like with Sigourney, I was like, how the hell am I like, like, don't even know if I could do her voice anymore now because I haven't done it for such a long time. But it was listening to it and you just pick up the tone,
3: mm-hmm. the
2: way she would go up and then down. It was something about her tone that that's what I was trying to mimic, certain words. And I did the same. I would record my voice and listen to it back and go, okay. I can see, and it's, it's figuring out where it is in the tongue, in the mouth, where, mm-hmm. like John Hurt, where was he speaking, was it with the tongues up on the top of the palate, or
3: yeah. it's
2: just figuring out where the sound is, where is it coming from with them, and with John Hurt, you've got the young John Hurt, who actually hasn't got quite the distinctive voice he has when he's older, so obviously when he did Alien, it didn't sound anything like probably how I was doing it, because I was basing it more on the old John Hurt, right. who's got that that lovely kind of it sounds like he's probably smoked a lot of cigarette type of voice yeah he's, he's kind of got that
0: like he's back here yeah. like down <laughs> sort of so, i was doctor who once yes
2: it's the best thing they're the best Rehearsals is when you're sat down and everyone's trying to do John Hurt yeah. and everyone's just trying to figure out where that sound is coming from, or can Veronica Cartwright, you know, where where's that kind of where's the tone coming from? It's so much fun.
1: There's that the, uh, was it Steve Coogan and uh, the other actor, and they did that the, like the trip or something like that, and the characters are, are they're both actors and they're like on they're actors based on themselves yeah. going on a road trip together, and they stop at a cafe and they're sitting there and they start. Trying to do their Michael Caine impersonations, oh, I've heard and they're about this. yelling at each other. Yeah. It's like, no, you know, no, you're not doing it right. When it gets angry, it gets more loudly. Like, <laughs> yes.
2: <and they're> like <laughs> I think I've seen this. Yeah, yeah.
1: and it's just like that. <coughs> but I feel like that's so often, like with actors and people backstage, it's like we're just we're all like becoming all these little weird things. Like, I know, d-
2: terrifying, isn't it? Yeah, because you. I find I go into things like I put on little mini personas, or or I'm very much Greta at the moment because uh-huh. of what I'm wearing. So even how I'm speaking to you, I might be articulating more because that's how she is. It's uh-huh. really weird. Um, you do find you carry parts of it with you, definitely. Yeah. Uh, especially your mime and stuff. When I talk to someone and I'll be like, I'm just going to put my yoga mat over here, you find you're, you're blimmin' miming. I mean, I'm just, I'm telling you, I'm putting them. I'm yeah. going to put my yoga mat on. So why do I have to mime it for you? You find you just start naturally miming things or, yeah. Which people take the piss out of me for a lot, but, yeah.
3: yeah
1: you know, <laughs> fuck them. I don't, no, you know, you don't.
2: You got great dance moves, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you crack got some great dance moves. Oh, my why? goodness.
1: This is, as we, as we wind this, as we get to the end of this, because I think we're both getting a bit punchy, uh, A big part of this podcast is I want to sort of shine a light and a focus on artists and art forms and things that are less seen. Uh, Most of my guests I try to have on are, you know, women, people of color, uh, non-traditional gender expressions, Mm -hmm. whatever. Just not the default straight white men. Nothing against them. Some of my best friends are straight white men. Yeah. Uh, But just, you know... There's, there's plenty of places we hear from them and this is more of me just kind of trying to have those conversations and share those things so I always ask my guests for recommendations of, of art or artists that you would love to have people see more of and you know because a lot of my listeners can't make it out to a fringe if there are things like that you know kind of have that spirit that you'd like to share
2: I'm trying to think I don't know. my brain's completely dead that's so bad I
1: mean on on the... I haven't
2: seen much I haven't yeah. seen much here at the moment I'm trying to think with.
1: but I mean we have also spent the last hour talking about the people that you've found the exciting collaborations with which are yeah. the people who are inspiring you
2: yeah Who? so well people who inspire me are like Emily Carding um, I just literally go on about her all the time at the moment now um, because I'm a fan of one woman shows mm-hmm. I think it's really important um, uh, I'm trying to think at the moment what else there is I've seen recently I quite like, um, so I I wish I could have seen more stuff at Summer Hall, Mm because it's more international performances. So, things through movement as well. I think I went and saw a Finnish piece called The Desk. That was brilliant. That was brilliant. It was just about these women who were manipulating these desks. And through this whole hour, with no speaking, but just through music and dance and physical theatre, they were able to just tell this story. Um, sort of about politics um, and the rise and fall of, um, of politicians, and that it's really clever. Um, but yes, uh, so the other show I'd go on. So it's very much one woman, when one man, one men, one man. One man shows. I saw um, three thousand trees the other day.
0: Oh, that's yeah,
1: that one is here. At, uh, yeah, because I
2: honestly have been living here because I was doing it. Yeah. I've been doing four shows, so um, and that was amazing. That was amazing. I had no idea what I was walking into. Mm-hmm. I was just told him, I must go and see the show um, because, again, it was seeing um, this. Uh, it was based on I think it's William. I'm really bad at politics. William Ray. William Ray. Who uh-huh. was a Scottish politician, and it was all about his death and the inquest into his death and him as a politician. Oh my goodness! And it was just done by this one guy who also breaks it into by singing these beautiful. Songs in between, mm-hmm. and it was just stunning. It was stunning. And then I saw um, the to- Toby Belch. Oh yeah. Guy performed. Uh, there's two performers. It's it's a one man show, but it's two performers mm-hmm. um, because Sid, mm-hmm. whose version I saw, is off doing the West End at the moment. Right. And actually do. Um, absolutely blew me away. He was beautiful, and he's a, he's a much older chap. Um, I don't want to give him an age, but I'm assuming probably about late. 60s 70s maybe probably 70s um, his acting was just phenomenal his vulnerability was just beautiful um, yeah so I haven't been able to see much which is a shame and that's upset me a little bit because I'm here um, I feel like I should be able to see more I should be seeing more that's the point of this I should be seeing shows you know not just doing my own right. shows um, because it's how you meet people mm-hmm. but I guess that's what I love about Sweets I meet people like yourself purely just by hanging out yeah um, I mean, I'm seeing your show tonight,
1: oh, well, yeah. that'll be fun.
2: I'll be'm really intrigued
1: that that hanging out is a critical component for me because Absolutely. i i I have to confess like I oftentimes I'll see a show and I'll really feel connected to the performer, mm-hmm. and then they'll come off stage and I'll you know chat to them afterwards, and they're just like not mm. that like I get that we're all you know putting on roles and things like that, but it, the, the connection I'm talking about is just it's like. It's more of a like, you think that you've learned. You, you still, I feel like in a good show, you you learn something about the performer, even if they're performing something entirely different. Yeah. Like uh, last year, uh, did you see Urban Death? Yes. Uh, so the uh, Jonica Patella, the the tiny the, the tiny bald actress in that, and I um, really connected. Yeah. And um, we're like best mates now. We're working on a show together, and nothing about her. Performing in Urban Death is at all inviting or kind or sweet you know it's terrifying monsters and, and creatures that she plays Yeah, but it was something about the way she she did that I, I once heard a Basque clan say be interested don't be interesting mm-hmm. and she, she was doing that and that's the kind of person I want to work with it's just yeah. like if she picks up a, a torn in half teddy bear or a, a knife or whatever she's looking at it like she's seeing it for the first time. Yeah. and that kind of physicality and everything I was like, oh, I must work with you and, and then I met her and that was manifested in her as a person as well. Yeah. So it's like there's that correlation um, but that's why I love hanging out with all of us backstage is because like you I hung out with and met before I saw the show that you were in. Yeah. so like I kind of had like a, a baseline of just you yeah um, and which is really great for a lot of these shows because it's kind of like, you, it's like a little bit of a behind the scenes connection
3: yeah.
1: that informs and makes the show better.
3: Well,
2: it's like, I've only ever met you when you were, I think the first year's, at the end of your party. Oh yeah. Coming in and singing and playing the accordion. And that's that was the first glimpse I, I yeah. knew on a few that was, and I was like, okay, this is this is interesting. I think you had people <laughs> carrying you in. Yeah, crowds- I, I uh, Crowdsurf, crowd yeah. right in the accordion. While playing. Yep. Um, and so that was that was 2 years ago and then last year I recognized you and we got talking yeah. and that. So I've actually never fully really seen you perform which is why tonight's the first night which is going to be awesome. Well, I'm excited. I hope it'll be um, I hope it'll
1: be good. I'm
2: sure I'm absolutely sure it will be. Um, but yeah, it's that, I think it's incredibly important every time I've come out of fringe and um, water, I usually find the most important things that have happened to me is purely just by meeting For performers because so far in the last couple of years it's how i've been offered work Mm -hmm. um it's how my new work is developing because people have seen my shows or you've just developed a nice friendship that you go Mm -hmm. actually just really love to make some work with you um and i think that's something specifically here with sweet which is just such a family environment that you feel supported that you know that's really important i think um i don't I think I would struggle on my own just doing a one-woman show on my own and not having anyone to support. I'd really struggle because everyone's like mental health here as well. You know, you're oh, going to yeah. get days where you just absolutely 100% don't want to do it. Yeah, I, and
1: that's yeah. but we're supported to do that here.
2: We are. And you know what? It's actually quite nice that if I had a day uh, two weeks ago where I was just in tears, I just couldn't do it. I was mm-hmm. like, today is not, I just want to hide. I need to go home. Yeah. And hide. I thought people were going to make me perform, mm. but they turned around and went, do you know what we're just going to pull straight today?
3: Yeah.
2: Well, you know, they they, they waited for a bit. They didn't just immediately. But
3: right.
2: the fact that they did that made me feel amazing that I can go, actually, you're right. Yes. Yes. And that's, I think it's really important. But yeah, I love Fringe.
1: I love Fringe too. And I think that's the perfect note to end yeah. To end on. Fringe yeah. is great.
3: Fringe is great. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much for taking some time to chat with me. I, okay. I've i loved your work for years and to get to just talk about it. the carpentry thing was so fun to learn. Yeah. So thank you <laughs> so a much. There's
2: lot random things in my life like that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, come back on the podcast anytime.
3: Yeah, that'd be
1: amazing. So that was my chat with Heather. I... Just was absolutely delighted that her schedule was able to accommodate talking with me. She produces incredible work. It's really, really fascinating to get to chat with someone who is not devising their own work. Specifically, in my my shows that I do, I'm the writer and the overall creator. So it's my work about things that interest me and kind of my life. Heather has that entirely different process where she's acting and collaborating with a writer or a director to produce a piece of work and it's really fascinating to talk to someone like that because it's a wholly different way of creating things that i personally don't have a lot of experience with here's a thought on the last episode i talked about how fringe feels to be a part of it what it means the history of it But honestly, I think my favorite part of it as an artist is that I get to create my work. I get to share my work, but I'm doing it in the context of hundreds and hundreds of other shows, thousands of other artists creating and sharing their work. And I often find that I'll go out and see a show. And that evening, what I just saw will affect the performance that I give on stage, because maybe I saw a cabaret where... Instead of getting really loud at an important moment, the other artist gets really quiet. Or, you know, maybe instead of getting fully naked, the artist, you know, wears a towel for a song. There's, there's all different kinds of things that go into a good performance. And sometimes people think, ah, oh, my show is finished. It's been codified. It's, it's that. But there's so many little details that you can play around with, even in a very set show. I mean, just look at Shakespeare. People are still doing those plays with the same text today. And they've been doing it for hundreds of years because they keep finding different little subtleties and ways to sort of express and, and play within it. And I just love that. It's, it's so inspiring to get to go watch a really high-level accordion player or cabaret show or juggling show and then bring a little piece of that back into my show as, as inspiration for how the directions that I go in. I really wish that there were more opportunities for artists to be performing while also viewing other artists in sort of a large scale scene, which is why I love fringe festivals. People often ask me why I I go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival every year when I make zero money doing it. I'm I'm always lucky enough to sort of break even on the proposition, but essentially I'm not making any money doing this. And it's really for that, that, that chance to almost collaboratively be producing in my own way that I'm viewing other shows and I'm changing or or rewriting my show to respond to that so if you ever get a chance to kind of do that one-two punch of viewing a piece of someone else's art or creative work and then immediately getting to work on your own it's just the best thing at least for the way my brain works it might be different for you I need more coffee. Finally, on this week's episode, I have a new song. This is something that I wrote when I stayed up way too late one of the nights at Fringe. Uh, I don't think I got to bed before 4am any night of the Fringe, which is actually a really good record for me. Usually it's not uh, till after 6, so I guess I'm getting older. (laughs) Anyway... This song is about Fringe, and it doesn't have a title yet, but I wrote it for the closing party of my venue, Sweet Venues, and I hope you enjoy it.
0: sees. Fever mustaches, bottles of glitter, rattle trap circus, punk cabaret, broken strings, runny musket. Bars. The gutters run purple As the bucky flows free But our revelry rattles the stars Our revelry rattles the stars Sing me your songs Let me your ears Most live for one night like this Dear ones, stay awake Press on toward day Let's greet the great dawn with a kiss Let's greet the great dawn greet the great dawn greet the great dawn with a kiss
1: That's all for this week's episode of Strangely and Friends, the podcast. Again, sorry about the audio issues during the interview. I am working on learning how to use this portable recorder. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please share it with friends, tell other people about it. I make this podcast as a way of sharing a different side of the art and creativity that I work on, and I hope you folks are enjoying it. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can check out patreon.com slash strangely p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot slash strangely to find out how you can support me making more of whatever this is if you've got a question or a comment you'd like to get in touch with the podcast please send a letter to strangely 1000 harris avenue number 21 bellingham washington 98225 That's my mailing address for my Sonic Suitcase Studios, which is located in Fairhaven, Washington. Obviously, I am not there right now. I am in Dundee, Scotland, recording this. And uh, that will be where the next couple of episodes come from. I hope you folks have a great week. And I will talk to you all soon. Cheers. Do you remember that joke?
2: I think so. Okay, go ahead. What is Beethoven's favorite fruit?
1: What? Oh,
0: thank you. That's
3: right.
1: (laughs) Strangely and Friends, the podcast, is a Herringbone Society production.